So I'm calling this message, uh, The Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lordship of Jesus is essential. It's central to our salvation. I want to read Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, our salvation hinges upon us recognizing and believing and applying to our own life the lordship of Jesus Christ. When he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. When in the Bible, confession is not meant to be something separate from our lifestyle. We're not, God doesn't intend that we confess his word but don't live it. We confess Christ but don't obey him. We confess he's Lord but don't follow his word. And so we have to understand that because there's teaching that's prevalent, widespread, not just in America, but around the world, that people can be saved without repentance. And we don't say it that directly. We don't tell people you can be saved without repentance. We just leave repentance out. We just have them pray a prayer and accept Jesus. But there's not been repentance. There's not been acknowledgement that he is Lord. Without the lordship of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, are we saved? Amen. Now, here's what Jesus said about this. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? So there, we're told directly from the Lord. He expects that when we confess him as Lord, he becomes our Lord. Again, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 through 9, he says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near me, draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me. Vain means useless, worthless, and having no value at all. So if we call Jesus Lord, but he's not our Lord, our worship is vain, useless, has no value. He said, you're teaching doctrines as doctrines, the commandments of men. So that's what's happened today. We come up with these doctrines of men, we tell them to people, and then we tell them that they're saved. But there's never really been a repentance of self-centered living, surrendering my life to the Lordship of Christ. And then we think, I believe in Jesus, I love him, I've accepted him, I must be saved. And they're not saved. They're not saved. Jesus, when he said, when the Bible says we confess the Lord Jesus, what's implied is he becomes Lord. Yes. Amen. He becomes Lord. So he said those who say with their mouth, they draw near with their mouth, but their heart is far from him, not doing what he says, he calls them hypocrites. Now, the Greek word hypocrite means an actor, a pretender, Someone who wears a mask and is literally two-faced. The word originally came, the Greek word from, you may have seen these pictures or uh, drawings or, uh, of old Greek actors. They would have a mask they would hold up in front of their face when they acted. That's a hypocrite. So a hypocrite is someone who puts on one face but lives another way. 
So Jesus said, if we confess that he's Lord, but he's not the, we're not obeying him, we're a hypocrite. And it's not good to be a hypocrite because in Matthew 24, verse 50 and 51, Jesus said, the master of that servant, and that's the servant who doesn't obey him, he will come on a day when he's not looking for him. He will come in an hour that he's not aware of. He will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So to confess Jesus as Lord, but he's not Lord, means we're a hypocrite. And if there's not repentance and we don't really make him Lord of our life, we're in danger of finding our portion with the hypocrites being cut in half. That means killed and a a weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's a doctrine. I believe in Jesus and therefore I'm saved or I love Jesus. And, And this is not just one person here or one person there or one person. This is widespread throughout churches where people say they'll live in fornication, they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, and if you ask them, they'll say, I love the Lord. Uh, they, they don't obey God, don't serve God, but they've accepted Jesus. They're as lost as a goose in a Texas snowstorm. They're lost. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of I love, I love the Lord, but I don't obey him. Now, I've said this to people before. And I want to say this with kindness. Uh, For those that believe I've accepted the Lord, and I love the Lord, but I'm living in sexual sin, or I'm living in disobedience, but I love the Lord. You don't love the Lord. You love an idea about Him. You love the idea of Him loving you, but you don't love Him. You see, in John 14, 21 and John 14, 23, Jesus said, the one that keeps my commandment is the one that loves me. And in John 14, 24, he said, the one that does not love me does not keep my commandments. In, uh, also in 1 John chapter 5, John the Beloved writes, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So Jesus is Lord, and his lordship is essential to our salvation. Now, uh, the last decision that you and I ever made after we surrendered our life to Christ was that. When we gave our life to Christ, that was the last decision we made on our own. Now that he's Lord, we make all decisions under his guidance. We don't call our own shots. We don't live where we want, do what we want, go where we want. If he's Lord, we follow him. You see, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So now we have to ask ourselves a question, not based on a man's doctrine that says, I've accepted the Lord. But based on what Jesus Christ said, when Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom, but those who do the will of God, they enter in. Then we have to ask ourselves this question. If I'm not obeying Jesus as Lord, am I saved? If I'm not obeying him, am I saved? Jesus said, those who do the will of God enter into the kingdom. That's a question we have to ask. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, 
The Bible says Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You say, well, what about being saved by grace through faith without works? We have to take all the scriptures together. The Bible says in, uh, I believe it's Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, the sum of thy word is truth. So we put all the scriptures together, we get the truth. We can't take a couple verses out of context and build a doctrine of man and ignore all the other ones. Now, we cannot do any works to pay for our sins to be forgiven. Only the blood of Jesus, only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus pays my sin debt. But when I receive Christ as my Lord, that means uh, I'm, He's my Lord. As He's my Lord and Savior. In uh, Matthew 7, verse 22 and 23, Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day. Unfortunately, He didn't say a few. He said, many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness means, in the Greek, it means unrighteous, a lawbreaker, lawbreaker, someone who is disobedient to God's commandments. So what about saying, well, aren't we saved by grace through faith without works? Well, the real faith, that saving faith, changes the way we behave. James, in James chapter 2, he said, show me your faith, uh, and I'll show you my faith by my works. For he said, faith without corresponding works is dead, it cannot save. So if I believe that he's Lord, Lord means boss. If he's boss, then I believe he calls the shots. If I believe he's Lord, I obey him. If I, if I believe he's Lord, I follow him. It means I put my trust in him. Believing facts about Jesus, even believing that he died on the cross for your sins, is not enough to be saved. To believe in Christ means to put your life into his hands. To believe in Christ means to lean on him, to look to him, to follow him. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So if someone says, I've received Christ as Savior, but they don't follow him, do they have the light of life? No, they don't. You have to follow him to have the light of life. How do we follow him? The Bible says his word is a lamp and a light to our feet and to our path. So as we follow his written word and we follow the leading of his Holy Spirit, we're following the light of the world. When we obey his word, we keep his word. That's the love of God. So there are all, there's so many people that received a false gospel. They're believing in a false Jesus. And I don't want them to be shocked on judgment day. He said, um, you're, you're lawless. Okay, we covered that. So I'd like to read... Um, Here's what James 2 says also. Even the demons believe and they tremble. So the demons believe that Jesus died on the cross. They believe that, but they, they didn't repent. They can't repent. They're in a place, so we have to repent and put our faith in him. Repent means change your mind, change your direction. Now, I like to read this illustration. It's actually in our uh, Foundational Doctrines of Christ manual. 
in uh, chapter uh, five, Faith Toward God, part one. And I want to encourage everyone in our body, everyone who would considers himself a member of this body, to prayerfully and carefully study through this entire manual. Watch all 15 videos, study all the chapters, fill in the blanks. If you do, you'll have a solid foundation uh, to walk with God. Yes, you will. Amen. So here's, here's, what, uh, here's what faith is. The Smithsonian Magazine records the exploits of a French acrobat by the name of Charles Blondin, who in the 1850s and onward through the 1890s walked across Niagara Falls on a two-inch thick tightrope on several different occasions in front of thousands of spectators. Crowds of onlookers were estimated to be as large as 25,000 people. One time, when he was 65 years old, Blondin carried his son and another man on his back across a two-inch tightrope across Niagara Falls. By the time he gave his final performance in 1896, it was estimated that Blondin had crossed Niagara Falls 300 times and walked more than 10,000 miles on that rope. Uh, the story goes that he once walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope from Canada to the USA while pushing a wheelbarrow with 200 pounds of dirt in it. As spectators gasped and cheered below, he asked the crowd, how many of them believe that he could do it again with a person sitting inside the wheelbarrow? Many of the onlooking uh, multitudes shouted and cheered, yes, we believe you can. We believe it. In response, Blondin pointed to one of the more enthusiastic believers and said, if you believe I can, then you get in the wheelbarrow and I'll push you across the falls. The man became silent and refused to get in the wheelbarrow. He did not really believe or trust Charles Blondin with his life. It's easier to merely profess faith than to actually put our life into someone else's hands. Real saving faith is putting our life in the wheelbarrow that Jesus Christ is pushing. Faith means that we completely trust him. We trust his love, his wisdom, his goodness. We trust his guidance and his power, and we submit to him in obedience as our Lord. We yield to him as the all-knowing, loving, and powerful Lord of our lives. In the book of Revelation, chapter 14, the apostle John sees a multitude of overcomers standing on Mount Zion with the Lord Jesus Christ. John writes that these are the ones who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. That's what saving faith is. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So the lordship of Jesus Christ means not just to believe facts about him, not just to believe that he died for us, that he rose again or he's coming again. That's not enough. To believe on him means to put our life in his hands. To say, you're the Lord of my life. From now on, I'm following you. So that's, um, by the way, if you enjoyed that story, get the Foundational Doctrines Manual and go through all 15 chapters and your faith will become strong. I want to just go ahead and read from James chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. But James says, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God? You do well. Even the demons believe, and they tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? 
See, he obeyed God. Uh, God asked him to surrender to him. It's, I, what greater surrender is there than to give your only son that you love? And he obeyed. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, his faith was made complete. Meaning faith without works is not complete. It can't save us. The scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So this in context, his believing was an action. His believing was an action. So people are deceived by a doctrine of men that says we are saved if we believe some truths about God, but we don't obey. In Romans 14 verse 10, says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So something about Jesus being our Lord means not only is he our Lord, but because he's our Lord, all of us will give an account to him. So there are consequences for the way we live. In uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, well, let me paraphrase the verses before that. It says that um, although he was equal with God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, Jesus. He was in the form of God. He humbled himself taking the form of, bond, of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses, uh, verses 5 through about 8, around there. Then it goes on, because he did this, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. That means in hell. It's where hell is in the center of the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue in heaven, on earth, and below the earth is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Satan and every demon, before they're cast into the lake of fire forever, will bow their knee and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Every human being on the planet, alive that's ever lived, will bow their knee and they will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And uh, after they do that, some will be thrown into the lake of fire and the others will come into the kingdom of God. But every knee will bow. So we need to know that we, every one of us, we either bow now or bow later. And so... Uh, Again, John 8, he said, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. How do we do that? We follow his word. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. So by following the written word of God, what the scripture says, the Lord Jesus Christ lived his own life according to the scripture. And he would often say to his disciples, let us go up to Jerusalem as it is written. How must the scriptures be fulfilled? Let's go. And uh, when people would ask him questions, he would say, have you never read? And then he would quote scripture. 
uh, more than 75 times in the Gospels, Jesus Christ either quoted Scripture or referred to Scripture as the Word of God. And so the Word was a light to His feet and a lamp to His path, and it should be to ours. So without obedience, without obedience to Jesus as Lord, our salvation cannot be worked out. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he's talking about obedience. He said, you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but now that I'm absent and I'm writing you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Obedience is how we work it out. And in context, this is Philippians 2, uh, verse 12. In context, this came, this passage, right after he just told us that Jesus humbled himself, although equality with God was nothing to be grasped at, and he was in the form of God. It said he made himself of no reputation, took the form of a bondservant, humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of a cross, which is humiliating. So in those verses, he said in uh, Philippians chapter 2, he said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death to the Father. Therefore, God has exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. So after he said that, then he said, therefore, since you have obeyed always, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the working out of our salvation in context is to humble ourselves in obedience to the Lord. That's how we work out our salvation. And he said, do it with fear and trembling. Now, a month or so ago, I did a message called The Fear of the Lord is His Treasure. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't heard it, go to our YouTube channel and hear that word. It'll change your life. But if you want to understand, if we want to understand what the fear of the Lord means, we can get that definition and understanding from looking in the Scripture at those who feared God. And then we'll understand what the fear of the Lord is. It seems like today people like to soften it up and just say it's reverence for the Lord. That's really, it's much, much more than reverence for the, God, for the Lord. The Bible says that God came to Abraham, said, Abraham, take your son, your only son that you love, and offer him as a burnt sacrifice in the place that I will show you. Now, you know what the next verse says? It's in Genesis, I believe it's chapter 22. The next verse says, rising early in the morning, Abraham came out and chopped the wood, saddled his donkeys and got his servants and headed out. He went three days journey to the place God showed him, told his servants, you stay here. My son and I are going up to offer a sacrifice. We'll be back. He bound his son, laid him on the altar, laid the wood on the altar. And before he lit it on fire, he raised his hand to strike his son dead. The angel Lord stopped him and God said to him, now I know that you fear me. So what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is swift and complete obedience. So now when he says, in context, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, 
It means, and in context, he's, he's relating that to how Jesus submitted to the Father. He says in Philippians chapter 2, have this mind in you that was in Jesus. And after he tells us what Jesus did, he humbled himself and obeyed even unto death. He obeyed even unto death. He said, you have that mind. Then he said, you work out your salvation with swift and complete obedience. That's what it means with fear and trembling. Then he encourages us. He said, because, let me paraphrase, you're not alone. It is God who's in you, working in you, both to will and to do. So we take the steps of obedience, and he works in us to empower us to do it. So salvation belongs to the Lord. But we're not saved without our cooperation. We cannot be saved on our own. We're saved by grace. But it's him that works in us. Now, again, uh, we cannot pay for our sins uh, with any works. Only the blood of Jesus pays for our sins. But if we're going to work out our salvation, it takes a faith that translates into obedience. Now, I've been pastoring now. This is my 33rd year of pastoring, and I've counseled a lot of people. And I've had a lot of situations where I've talked with people, and some people will obey the Word of God, and some people won't. And some people that don't obey will think, I'm saved. Because they've been taught a wrong gospel. They taught they can go off and live in the world and live how they want and uh, not obey God and still love Him. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Now, this is not any one person. These scenarios have happened with me. Okay? But I'm going to tell you things I've learned, and it's, it grieves me. And that's why I'm saying it. I want to get this recorded because I, I want many people to hear this message and understand the truth. Now, I've had uh, a case of someone counseling someone, had a problem with, and of course, you'd never know who it is. It doesn't matter. My point is, this is the mindset that many people have that have been taught or fed a wrong gospel. So I'm counseling someone that has a problem with pornography and lust. Of course, if you live, if you practice that, you will not enter the kingdom. I just said, if you practice that, you will not enter the kingdom. Okay? So I sat down and I taught them that the way that we're sanctified is by the washing of the water of the word, Ephesians chapter 5. Christ gave himself for the church that he might present her to himself, that he might wash her with water by the word, sanctify her, present her to himself, holy, glorious, beautiful, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, without any blemishes, right? So the the cleansing happens from the word. So I teach him this. I'm going to tell you what I teach. When I counsel people, they're in bondage to sin. Okay, number one is through the washing of the water of the word. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, now how can someone say, I love God, but they don't keep his word? He said in John 14, 21 and 23, the one that loves me keeps my word. That means we have to be intentional. We have to put the time in. We have to read it, meditate on it, memorize it, hold it in our heart. If we're not putting that time in, we don't love the Lord. So I'll teach the person. I've taught them. You're sanctified by the word. 
Sometimes people think, I need special ministry. You don't need special ministry. You need repentance and the washing of the water of the word. Let me explain this. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I'll explain this to the person. The reason you can't stop sinning is because you don't have the word in you. You have to get the word in you. The word washes you. The word will break sin off of you. When you hold the word in your heart, Psalm 119 verse 130 says, the entrance of thy word gives light. 1 John 1 5 says, God is light. Jesus said in John chapter 6, my words are spirit and life. Hebrews chapter 4 says, the word of God is living and active. When we meditate on the word and hold the word in our heart, there's spirit life in the word that brings the spirit light into our heart. And when we hold the word in our heart, the living spirit light word of God becomes a stronghold of light that makes it impossible for us to sin. If we let the word slip out of our heart and let our mind go on earthly things, we'll sin. In Romans, it says, as a man thinks, so he is. If we set our mind on the things of the spirit, we'll walk in the spirit. If we set our minds on the things of the flesh, we walk in the flesh. So I'll teach people this. I'll say, now, then I'll give uh, some scriptures. We have cards. Here's a scripture with all the, a card with all these verses on sexual purity, holiness, and other verses. Take this card every day when you get up and you have time with God, meditate on these verses. Read them, pray them back to the Lord and say, Lord, let this verse become alive in me. I guarantee 100%, not because I have any power to guarantee anything, but because the word of God says, the word of God says, when you know the truth, it makes you free. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin. So an extended period of time goes by. The person will come back to me, says, I still have, I can't stop doing pornography. All right? Have you taken, did you take the words that I gave you and do it? No, I haven't. What do you expect? What do you expect? So you don't obey God, you don't obey your parents, you don't obey your pastor, and you say, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. And I'm not saying this to belittle or shame anybody. If you're listening and that's going on in your life, it's because you've been taught wrong. Without submitting your life to Christ, there's no salvation. No fear of God. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you. Uh, the, the, the word rule is King James, but its better word would be lead, because as leaders we don't dominate. Uh, for, uh, Peter writes that we're not to lord over the congregation, lord over the people, but we're to be examples to the flock. But we, the Bible does say that we lead over you. It says, Obey those who lead over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would not be profitable. That would be unprofitable to you. 
So when, and this verse should not be used by anybody in, in ministry to try to control or dominate people. The Bible does give us qualifications for leaders um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I believe, uh, he says, you know, uh, those that are entrusted with the gospel, uh, Paul writes, he said, we lived devout, just, blameless, holy. He said, we were willing to impart to you not only the gospel, but our own lives. He said, we weren't, didn't use flattery. We didn't love money. So there's a, a so when, you, when there's a leaders in the body that are, uh, imparting to you the word, and they're also laying down their life for you. They're not loving money. They're not using, you know, they're living devout, just, and holy, blamed, serving you. Yeah. Then the Bible says you should recognize them and obey them. Yes. So a, a good shepherd is not going to say things to you to do that's not according to the word or that's not for your own good. And so today, many people don't obey that. Here's another one, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 12. It says, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and they admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourself. Uh, if you're one of the youth that meets with Torin, submit to him. He's there. He loves you. He prays for you. He lays down his life for you. He's sharing the word of God with you. Don't just blow it off. So, these, so obeying the Lord, obeying your parents, obeying your leaders, that means Jesus is your Savior. People think that they can just pray, I accepted the Lord, and then do whatever they want. It's not... Now I want to give another example. Now this scenario has been... Um, I've had so many over the years, not like lots and lots, but enough over the years where I've sat down and counseled people. You'd show them from the Word, show them what it is, and they don't do it. And they think that they're saved. And they can live any way they want. Now, I want to say this. I want, I'm saying this for the record. I want this to be on video. I want people to hear this. Dating is not biblical. Let me explain what I mean by that. Let, let me explain what I mean by that. You get a couple of teenagers, 19 or 20 year olds, whatever, and they want to have boyfriend and girlfriend. What that means is they want to hold hands and when their parents aren't looking, they want to hug and kiss and do whatever else. And um, so this is completely unbiblical. Now I've sat down, let me explain why. I sat down with young people and explained to them. I've done this a number of times over the years, uh, say to the young man, you want to have a girlfriend, you want to sit there, hold her hand, kiss her, hug her, inflame all your hormones and uh, everything in you. you, then you can't control yourself. And now look at you. Now, please listen. You still live at home. You don't support yourself. You're not stable. Your walk with God's not stable. You're up and down. You can't even support yourself. What are you doing trying to get entangled physically with a girl? You have no business to do it. Break up and focus on your walk with God. This is the counsel. And what you need to do is, if you say, well, I want to marry her, I, okay, then get a job. Support yourself. Have a place to live, a car, 
and enough money to take care of a wife and then be stable in your walk with God. Now you're ready to court. Now you're ready. See, but this, but the worldly, the ungodly worldly dating has come into the church. The church, much of the church has accepted it and, and unknowing, untaught parents have encouraged it. And they'll encourage their kids. Oh, I want them to have a girlfriend. I want them to have a boyfriend. Then they wonder why all the teen pregnancies and, and why things don't work out. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. Before God gave Adam a wife, he gave him a job. He said, tend the garden. That's the way it is. And the people say, well, I just... I'm not going to sin. We're just going to hold hands and kiss. And that's what everybody says. And, and then you can't control yourself. The Bible says in Song of Solomon, don't wake, awaken love before it's time. There's some wisdom in that. So I'll sit down and I say, now don't do that. You have no, you're not even capable of taking care of her. Separate. Focus and get strong. Oh, well, I really want. Then that's even more motivation. Like Jacob, he worked seven years to get his wife. Go get a job. You know, get on the fire department. Get a, get a job. Get, go drive for UPS. Get money. Get your own apartment. Get your own car. Support yourself. And then start courting her. Go to her parents and say, I can take care of her. That's how you do it. So I tell them that. And they say, okay to me. And then they don't do it. And then I say, where, you know, where are you? I was, well, we're, are you still getting physical? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? It means, and these people, people think I'm a believer. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. You're not obeying God, not obeying your parents, not obeying your pastor. He's not Lord of your life. You don't love the Lord. You love your flesh. You love your own will. And you love the idea of being saved. And it's all a deception. Now why does this happen? Because we preach the gospel without repentance. Repentance means I give up my life and I follow him. So I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. I want this on record. I want young people that come, old people, every age people. When people come, I want to be able to hear this. I want to say, here, hear this message. Then I don't have to repeat it all the time. Amen. Let me skip forward. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. When we come to Christ, we no longer live for ourselves. He's everyone say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. We read it again. We should live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. Sometimes I hear things like this. Well, it's hard. It's hard to not want my boyfriend, or it's hard not to want my girlfriend. Well, it's supposed to be hard. Jesus said, please hear this. He said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, it only stays hard because you haven't repented. Once you repent, it's not hard anymore. It's hard because you've got this ongoing thing. You'll, you will not, you refuse to give up. 
You refuse to yield. You refuse to surrender to Christ. That's why it's hard. But you still want to be called a Christian. Still want to come to church. Want to say, I love the Lord. But you don't want to give up your sin. I've counseled other people like this. And this is, anybody wants to know how to counsel someone to overcome any kind of sin, this is what I recommend. Read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. It's the constitution of the kingdom. If you'll read that, I've, I've given people this assignment uh, more than once. I'll say, say well, I, I have this problem. I can't get over this. I said, I know what your problem is. You don't have any fear of God. But the fear of God comes, the Bible says, from reading the Bible. Comes from the Word. And I don't have time to go into that, but I can show you from the Scripture. When the more we feed on His Word, we'll have the fear of God. So I said, all right, you really want to change? Yes. I said, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read it every morning. It'll take you 15 or 20 minutes. Read it every morning for 30 days. Then coming back and talk to me. I guarantee one of two things will happen. If you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, one of two things will happen. You will stop sinning. You'll stop fornicating. You'll stop disobeying. You will. Because the Word will get in you. Or you'll stop reading because you want to sin. But you can't do both. Because if you want to sin, your conscience will bother you every time you read it. So you'll stop reading and you'll go to sin. Or you'll stop sin and the Word will get in you. So I've told people, uh, do this. And then I'll ask them later, did you do it? Nope. Well, no, a few times. So this, so this is, again, this is not me to shame or make anybody feel bad. It's my job as a shepherd to speak the truth in love. Need people to understand very plain and very black and white. If you're not willing to surrender your life to Christ, you're not able to be saved. You better well know now. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I remember hearing uh, Rietta McPherson tell when her son Aldo was caught up to heaven with the Lord. The Lord said to him, when he, he said, when I walked the earth, every day of my life was the cross. Tell my people to get with it. He said, when I walked the earth, every day was the cross. Tell my people to get with it. See, that's what the Bible says. I believe that. He said, uh, Matthew 10, 38, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Say, well, it's hard. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2 says, 1 and 2, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The only reason why it's so hard for so long is because there's no repentance. It's hard for a little bit, but once you repent, the pain's over. You turn your back on it and walk away, the pain is over. If I'm a diabetic and I just stand at the window of Cease Candy and stare in the window, I'm going to tell everybody, this is hard. This is hard. This is so hard. Well, of course it is. I need to turn away. When I turn away, it's no longer hard. So we're to have this mindset. Let me read it again. Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself 
with the same mentality, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So it's a false gospel that makes people think it's easy. Yes. Yes. To say, oh, I just pray the prayer and it's a cakewalk. No, it's a crosswalk. <laughs> it's not a cakewalk. But it's not always painful. It's like the song that we sing. I wrote it down somewhere if I can find the lyrics. The song. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. So that it's not always constant pain. It's a mindset. I had a dream. Um, I had it when we, were, when we went to the Redwoods. When was that, Catherine? August. I had a dream in August, and it was a word for me to encourage me, an exhortation. In the dream, I was in my house, and I was surrounded. I could see through the shutters and the windows all around the outside were evil people with weapons that were come, going to come in after me and my family. And so I was, uh, you know, frantically looking around the house for a weapon in, in a natural, in my home. I wasn't in my home. I don't know where I was, but in my home, I have weapons. So I'm looking around, I couldn't find any weapon. And I thought, what am I going to do? Then there was a, a knock on the front door. So I just, I don't know if I looked through the hole or peeked a little bit. And when it was, it was a man that I've never met, but I recognized him. His name is Mickey Robinson. Anybody see his testimony? He was in a fiery plane crash. About 50% of his body was burned off. And he survived. He's a, he's a wonderful Christian saint. And God brought him through that fiery ordeal. Today his face is disfigured and scarred. But the joy of the Lord shines out of him. He's a saintly man. And I knew who he was from videos, his testimony. And in the, when I saw through the door, it was Mickey Robinson. And he had a, a rifle in his hand. Now, I don't know this name. of I've heard it before, but it's not something I could readily just think of. But in the dream, he said, here, you need a weapon? Here. And he said, it's an Uzi. So I knew an Uzi was some kind of a gun. I don't know what kind, like a machine gun or something. That was a dream. I woke up and I, I put in Uzi on my computer. It was designed by an Israeli man for IDF. And Israelis use it. Uh, uh, yeah, an automatic rifle. And so I understood that what he was giving me he was the message in the dream. He's a man that went through suffering and he came through the fire on the other side like gold. It says in Job 23.10, when I'm tried, I'll come forth like gold. This man is a saint. He's, and um, So I knew that he was the message and Uzi means the weapon of God's people. So I knew that when I, when I woke up, the scripture came to me. I said, Lord, you're saying something to me through this. He said, yes, the weapon for you to carry is this mindset. Be willing to suffer like Christ suffered. This man went through the fire and came out like gold. That's your weapon. If we're willing to suffer, the devil cannot overcome us. That's a verse he gave me. I remember uh, in, when I was in my 20s, 30s, and even in my 40s, I took several trips to India, and I would work in rural villages with a, a dear saint of God named P.S. Cheladurai. 
In 2012, he went on to be with the Lord, but he was a, in a way like a spiritual father to me. I loved him very much. We had a great relationship. He was a saintly man, and he spent, uh, had a big ministry in South India. And um, he would go out to the villages and, and preach the gospel. I did that with him and did pastor seminars. He told me about a time when he was going through real fiery trial in his life. And by the way, let me back up. P.S. Cheladry, to this day, I don't think I've ever heard as, as an anointed salvation message. I'll never forget standing next to him on a platform in a village, 80, 80 kilometers down a dirt road, a village so remote that a crowd showed up because we had a van. They hadn't seen vehicles where they were. And uh, I'll never forget how anointed he was. The wind was blowing. He wore those, those old-fashioned Indian white robes, and his robe was flapping in the wind, and he was preaching Christ. It was, it was fire. So much love was coming out. I thought to myself, oh, my God, I've never, never. It was like, it was like hearing the Lord himself plea with the people. It was the most anointed salvation message I've ever heard, preaching and, of course, people just coming to Christ. Anyway, he told me a very difficult time. I don't know what. He didn't tell me what the trial was. Could have been hell, finances, demonic attack. I don't know what. He said it was my practice to get up and pray in the morning from 3 in the morning on till 6 or 7. He said one morning I'm kneeling down praying just, Oh, Lord, I'm going through such a trial. He said, my, everyone in my house is asleep. While he's praying, he said, I heard footsteps down the hallway. Physically, I heard the footsteps. And I heard him stop at my door, my bedroom door, which is open. And I turned. He said, it wasn't a vision. There stood the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. And he was saying, Lord, I'm going through a hard time. Help me. When he turned around, the Lord pointed to him and said, Son, I've given you the gift of preaching. Take up your cross and follow me. And he walked away. He said, the, the effect it had on me was it strengthened me. It strengthened me. Yes, the Lord is, I will go through this. You see, and that's, the, that's what we need to understand. Jesus' whole life was the cross. We're called to follow him. He's our Lord. I want to follow the lamb wherever he goes. And it's not all suffering. Again, like the song, death is just the doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your suffering, I'll join you when you rise. And Paul wrote that to Timothy. He said, if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So our focus isn't so much on, oh, I'm going to suffer on the cross. It's that the cross is the doorway to the life of Christ. And this is what Paul lived, and it's how he manifested Christ. This is the real gospel of transformation, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And again, I remember the testimony I heard of John Voight, the actor. He tells, I heard him tell this on Fox News. He told it to Sean Hannity. And he didn't hold back. He told the whole thing. He said, many years ago, they asked him about his Christian faith. He said, many years ago. He's had a career of acting close to 50 years. 
He said, oh, in the big picture, I've had a great career. But at this particular time, many years ago, I think decades ago, he said, my marriage was really troubled and strained and painful. He said, my relationship with both my kids was painful and strained. And at that time, my career was at a low spot. He said, everything in my life seemed hard. And he wasn't a Christian. And he said, the house was empty one day and I found myself, I'd fallen to my knees in my living room. And I found myself crying out to God. And I said these words, God, it's hard. This is so hard. And he said, I was shocked by hearing the audible voice of God. And the voice of God said, it's supposed to be hard. And Sean Hannity was, Sean Hannity was shocked by that. He said, you heard, and he said, how did you feel? He said the same thing that P.S. Childerder, I said. Oh, he said, I was in, thoroughly encouraged. He said, that made me understand in a moment that there's a bigger plan going on than what I understand. It made me understand that God sees what I'm going through and somehow he has a plan for good. I knew that and I knew if it was supposed to be hard, then I better get with it. Isn't that amazing? See, this is the walk that we're called. And again, it's not all suffering. It's the doorway to the life of Christ. And anybody that's walked with God knows that. But we, can't, we can neither run from the cross. Francis Frangipan said, if we try to go around the cross, we're only making the journey longer. Watchman Nee said, the flesh is too bad to be fixed. It must be crucified. He also said, Watchman Nee said, failure to deny the self is the root cause of every failure in the Christian life. Let me say that again. Failure to deny the self is the root cause of every failure in the Christian life. And so again, I'm not putting all our focus, it's not all misery and pain, but we have to know it's part of the process. And if we try to get around the cross or run from it, we're going to fail. But we need to know this. Christ is with us. His Spirit is in us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And the day is coming that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're to do it now, joyfully, gladly, willingly, trusting Him as our good God, trusting Him as our Savior, trusting Him to lead us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Following Christ is like following the Lord through a minefield. Everyone knows what a minefield is. For those that don't, in war, this is what happens. The enemy will bury hidden explosives under the soil that can't be detected. And so when vehicles or troops come through, they, they're detonated and it leaves people either maimed, missing, disfigured, or dead. In fact, because of the war in Mozambique, where Heidi and Roland work, more maimed people live in Mozambique than anywhere on the planet because of all the mines that were... Now this life is we are in enemy territory. We've been dropped behind enemy lines. And the captain of our salvation knows where every trap is. He's the light. He's, 
He's the way, not intellectually. He's the way to be followed. He's the truth to be applied. And so uh, faith in Christ is like following him through a minefield. If he says, go this way, if his word says, uh, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge, then you fall, you apply that word and you turn away from it. And if every step, his word, we follow his word. Honor your mother and father. It's the first commandment with a promise. It will go well with you. You'll live long in the land. Then honor them. Yes. Right? It says, honor the Lord with your first fruits. Be fair. Have just scales. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on and on and on. His word becomes a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. He'll guide us right through the minefield into the kingdom of God. But if we decide we don't need to follow, if I say, I believe in Jesus, and Jesus said, follow me over here. And I say, I believe in him, but I say, well, I'm going to go over here, and I blow myself up. I didn't believe in him. Believing means to follow him. And so that's the message, the lordship of Jesus Christ. His lordship is his goodness to us. He knows better than we do. He loves us more than we love ourselves. And by following him, we have the light of life. He leads us into eternal life. He said he leads his shepherd into good pasture, green pastures, still waters. He anoints our head with oil. He spreads a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That's what happens when we follow the good shepherd. So, Lord, help us, every one of us. Lord, if we haven't recognized you as Lord, we repent. Lord, today we acknowledge you as our Lord. Lord, it's joyful to follow you as our Lord, knowing that you gave your life for us, knowing that you loved us unto death. We trust you, Lord. And we're going to obey your word because we love you. We're going to keep your word because we love you. And we're confident that we can because your word tells us that it's your spirit that works in us, both to will and to do. And so, God, we give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Give him praise.